On this episode, Outward Bound, Hogzilla, Trail Magic, and Wilderness Camping is Illegal in Germany? Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Well, welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast. Today on the episode, we have our first ever international guest, uh, Karsten Jost, uh, joining us from the uh, from Germany, the southern Germany near the border of Austria. And I'm going to just start with a little bit of a background because I met, I actually backpacked with Karsten a few years back in Grand Teton National Park. And um, we were both attending or headed towards um, some outdoor bloggers conference in Jackson. And uh, he was coming from Germany. I was coming from Korea at the time. And so we're like, well, let's, you know, like actually do something outdoors, not just go to a conference. And uh, he, you know, so he posted it up there. Anyone interested in doing something? I'm like, heck yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And we had planned to do the Teton Crest Trail, as I recall. Yeah, and, that's right. Yeah, and it was um, early October, and there had been a big early season snowstorm, like a week or two before that. And but it know, didn't look like much. It, it didn't look like look much, like, but yeah. Yeah, as we got up there, it turned out to be like a little bit too much for the gear that we had. You know, we didn't have, you know, ice axe and crampons or snowshoes, snow any of that stuff. So snowshoes would have been perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so we ended up doing a, a, like the uh, the route along the lakes on the eastern side of the of the mountains. And it was really, really pretty and it was nice. And so um, and I. Also, I'm going to go a little bit further. This is a long introduction here, but um, I remember, you know, we were talking because we didn't really know each other. And we not, just at met, all, not at all. Not at all. We've never met yeah. before. We we just met in that bakery in in town and had a breakfast, and then we were like went shot like resupplying, and then Picked we went up to our the ranger. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Was a great and so trip. we're hiking along and we're making getting to know each other. And I'm like, I knew that he had hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. And I said, hey, you know, I just, you know, I wrote a, I, I, have you seen the movie, Tell It on the Mountain? Because I did a little review of that on my blog, you know, and, and, and then he's like, yeah, I, I know of it. I was in it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh crap. And so right, my, my first thought was like, well, that's really cool. And the second thought is I hope I wrote something favorable about his experience on the PCT. <laughs> and, and it was all good. It was all good though. So, but anyhow, that's how Carson and I first met. And um, Carson, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do and uh, your background. Yes, yeah, so like my, my background is actually in, in Boy Scouting. So that's like, that's what got me into the outdoors. Like when I was six year, years, I, I joined and I stayed with the Boy Scouts for quite a long time. I think until I was something like 25. So I was a troop leader later on and a camp leader and everything. And so that's what, what got me hooked on the uh, on the outdoors. And then I studied for a little while at uni, uh, but actually didn't finish my degree because um, I wanted to go into finance and, you know, like, wearing suit and tie and being like a super outdoorsy person sometimes doesn't really match. Uh, and it took me quite a while to figure that out. And um, so I, I stopped doing that and uh, worked as a bicycle messenger for a couple of years. And as that got too hard on my body, I decided to do something that I loved to do something with the outdoors. And so I started working in outdoor retail. So, so after a while, like outdoor retail sucked because you're, you're just selling gear all the time. Like, um, helping other people to do stuff outdoors and I wasn't able to because I just didn't have the time and the money um, and then I just decided to to go on a long trip and my first long distance hike was not the, the PCT it was the Appalachian Trail actually in 2004 uh, and when people ask me nowadays Carson what was the hardest thing to, about the Appalachian Trail it was actually like starting to hike making the decision actually to uh, take five five to six months off to save the money not knowing what's going to happen when you come back from the trip because I had to cancel my job uh, to yeah to cancel my job I 
um, moved out of my apartment, uh, put everything in storage. So I didn't really know what was going to happen after the trip. And that was like, um, yeah, I was really afraid when I started the hike. But once I came back, I I was pretty confident that I would find a job. And I did. And like two years later, I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. Or let's say, let's put it this way. I tried to through hike it and got injured like after a thousand kilometers, like after 600, 700 miles, I herniated the disc. Um, and the doctors didn't find out soon enough. And so it was really severe. Like the, the, the doctor that actually got the diagnosis right said, so Carson, you, you, you will not fly back to Germany because I'm not quite sure uh, if you don't already have permanent nerve damage in your right foot. I, I couldn't lift my foot any longer. And it's interesting because uh, that was a sit that was the situation I was in, but I didn't really see it. So the, the first time I recognized that I couldn't lift my right foot was when the doctor actually told me I couldn't. Before that, it hadn't dawned on me that something was really, really wrong. But then again, and that's like the beauty of like, I'd say like most of the long hikes in the US is that there's there's like a community around those trails that know about the trails and people are super, super friendly. And so when I sat there in, uh, with a doctor, she just said, so do you know what you're going to do? And I'm like, I have no idea. I'm probably just going to call my parents, going to call the travel health insurance company to figure out what we're going to do. And she said, yeah, that's what I figured. You don't have a clue. So let me just call my husband if we can, so I can ask him whether I can take you home. And so um, they took me home. Um, I stayed there for weeks because it took like one week to get all the logistics uh, done for, for the surgery in the hospital. So, so they made sure that I got a good doctor and that I got a good, uh, got a good hospital that I actually specialized in stuff like that. And after the surgery, I had to stay like five more weeks to, to recuperate. And then I flew back home. So and that, that, that's like the beauty of, of like the long distance trails. That's what they call trail magic. And uh, that was like awesome trail magic but it happens all the time if i remember from the movie too weren't you hiking with your fiance or your girlfriend or your wife there was right you were <laughs> am i am i misremembering yeah. is that was that yeah, yeah i mean that was was the thing why they probably took us on the documentary because yeah, that yeah. was kind of neat you know yeah like the foreign couple from europe mm -hmm. uh, hiking hiking there yeah but uh we, we broke up after i through hiked the pacific crest trail in 2008 because um sorry it just, i didn't mean to pour lemon juice on a wound there that wasn't my intention i was just no no to, yeah. the thing is yeah. uh you know like if you if you do such a long distance hike as a couple it, you know you really get to know the other person and so like on the the, the first attempt that was kind of blurred by my experience of having that herniated disc and being in pain all the time and when I um, did the through hike in 2008, I really wanted to start from the border again. And my my ex-fiance just said, you know what, I'm not going to hike the miles I already hiked again. I'm just going to pick up the trail where I left it last time. And so we hiked from, from Echo Lake all the way to the border together. But yeah, as I said, we, we broke up after the trail because it didn't really work out 100%. But now, you know, now I'm married. I have two kids. We built a house. I planted a tree and everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you are, again, we said you are our first international guest and, and you're in the south of Germany right now, as, as you said. I don't remember if we yeah. mentioned that in the recording part of the session yet. Uh, just out of curiosity, because right now, this this will probably will have, you're listening to this now, would have, this would have been a couple of weeks ago we're talking, but there's those horrible floods and everything in Germany. Is there, are you okay? Are you uh, Are you safe, I hope? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking. Yeah, we're we're actually safe, and down here where I live, we we had lots of rain, but it was not severe. Uh, actually, like there is a an, an area that gets flooded every once in a while, like every couple of years, and uh, I actually like when that happens, I usually take my kids down there to the flooded area with an inflatable boat, and and I like walk walk through the swamp, so to say, like up to my. Um, in the water up to my knees and the, the children just like paddle and they just love it. Uh, but this time, no, we didn't see any flooding where I live. But generally speaking, it was it was like it was mad. It was yeah. really hard. So like there were little towns that just totally collapsed because they were under flooded. So there were people in houses and the whole house was moved by the water and uh, crumbled together and like lots of people died. So that's yeah, like really sad. a catastrophe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's really, really severe. And um, 
it, it stopped a little bit right now, but of course they're like really anxious that like more rain might come or that like rivers that are uh, like, for example, in Austria that are going to see rain right now will like flood the next river that flows into Germany and all of a sudden you have more flooding. Yeah, it's, it's complicated. Oh, no. Well, again, I'm very sorry, you know, for, for your yeah. compatriots and, and everything. It's very, very tragic and very sad. So, yeah, a good friend of mine uh, has like a cottage gear uh, company uh, sewing ultralight backpacks out of Cologne. And he just sent me like a video a couple of days ago because his shop is in the basement. And um, the water was just coming out of the toilet like you like you opened the sink. Yeah, just like blah, blah, blah. And like the, the whole basement was just like underwater and... But he was he was smart enough. He had heard about the flooding and he had put everything like um, on higher elevations in the in the in the building. So no problem here. He, he just had to had to stop like productions for a week or something. So you uh, why don't you tell us what you what you do now, Karsten? Yeah. So when I met Jeff, I I was still having that a little business with a couple of friends where we tried to um, bring uh, outdoor bloggers and outdoor companies together. And even though that is uh, like a huge market uh, or like a big business in the U.S., it's still not is in the in Europe. And so I stopped doing that. Um, and then I joined uh, Outward Bound uh, as a program manager and instructor, which is quite nice. So like I, I do sit in the office like 70 percent of the time talking to clients about uh, what the programs look like, um, or especially what they want the programs to look like, because we work with schools quite a lot. So I'd say like 90% of our clients are schools, so they just send classes um, to have a good time in the mountains. Uh, so I'm, I'm working with them like 70% of the time on the phone, on the computer and everything. And 30% of the time I do have the uh, the chance to be outside with, with groups actually, which is which is quite nice. So... It's not just sitting behind the desk. So the, the good thing is if you actually are running the program yourself as an instructor, you actually know what kind of problems the uh, participants are facing, what kind of problems the instructors run into, like the whole system works. And that, that helps a lot when planning the programs. And also gives me like a really good stand when I'm standing in front of the instructors telling them that they have to do something that they probably don't like that much. Uh, because then I can just tell them, hey guys, I, I've been there as well. I know it's, that might not be the best thing, but um, right now, this week, it doesn't work any other way. So you you got to do that. Sorry about that. And I'm the oldest guy there. Oh my yeah, gosh. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm like 46 right now. And like my, my boss, like the, the center manager is 30. And like oh, all wow. the instructors, all the instructors are like 25 or something, which is it's, uh, it's kind of rejuvenating for me as well. <laughs> But they can draw what, from my experience, of course. Of course. Uh, tell us a little bit about Outward Bound and, and the programming that you do. Like what kind of, uh, who are the, the people that go through the program and, and, you know, what is that experience like? Yeah, I'm not quite sure like if everybody really is familiar with Outward Bound, but it's like a provider of experiential learning. So that means like um, Outward Bound instructors take like their guests or their students outside into the outdoors and um, the groups have to face like like real outdoor challenges and the the instructor is more like a facilitator he like uh, follows the group or stays with them and just like um, makes sometimes like gives them time to reflect on what they just experienced and and like when you're out there in nature like everything is like really concrete so there's no way around it for example if, if it's rain, if it rains and you're you're outdoors, um, there's nothing you can change. There's no switch to switch the rain off. You just have to work it out. And and if you, if you prepared uh, not well enough, then you might get wet. Same thing like with food. If you didn't pack enough food, you're gonna get hungry. And uh, that usually has has a huge impact on the children. Like uh, when when they are with us, and most of the the children that that come to us. Uh, have never been in the outdoors before as well so it's like a huge learning curve for them and they usually usually really embrace that so and as hard as some of the trips might be being wet having blisters on your feet not having eaten enough and everything they all they usually all come out with a huge smile and usually they tell their parents years after the the trip what what kind of what a, what a cool trip that actually was um, and in the past, it was quite, kind of nice, like, so like 20 years or 30 years back, like the, the programs were usually like the school programs were usually like between two and four weeks. 
and nowadays and nowadays that uh, most of the students uh, they, they arrive on Monday and leave on Friday and we we take them hiking up to a peak we go rock climbing with them we um, we use high ropes courses we have like a 70 meter high bridge that we upside from and, and stuff like that yeah sometimes we, we do like we do an expedition to like a, a wooden hut that we own um, in, in, in Austria it's 400 years old has no electricity no running water so we we get all the water from a, from a spring and that's something they have and they have composting toilets toilets of course and that's something they haven't seen before as well um, but it's in the middle of nowhere that uh, it has no cell phone reception there and all of a sudden um, like 12 13 children are faced with a situation where they just have to deal with themselves um, and most of the children come back out of this trip saying that this was probably like the most remarkable situation that they were in, that they really liked it and that they were astonished that they could be without their smartphones for for uh, for a day or two. Yeah, I think most adults would be astonished of that. <laughs> so where do most of the students come from? Most of the students actually do come from Germany. Um, and most of our... Most of our clients are like just like normal school classes. We do have like a fair share of international schools and private schools as well. And depending on like who's coming, like like the normal schools, they schools they usually do speak German. Uh, with the international schools or private schools, like the spoken uh, language and the course is usually English. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah, because uh, you know, like for us, like, like doing all those outdoor activities, it's, it's just fun. It's not, it's, it's not such a, uh, like, like a challenge for us. It's just like being outdoors, enjoying that. And that, that, yeah, there's actually one more thing that's kind of neat as well, because I'm, I'm not quite sure if you know that, but like in, in Austria and Germany, like uh, wild camping is pretty much illegal everywhere. So like going on an overnighter, for example, with my wife is, is pretty much illegal over here. So I, we have a mountain range close by. Uh, so it's maybe like a, a 10 minute drive with a car. And then like after like 30 minutes hiking upwards, you're on a ridge and wonderful views. There's nice campsites as well, or like like flat areas where you can pitch a tarp or even a tent. Uh, but it's, a, it's illegal. And um, nowadays with Corona and like many people wanting to go outside and experiencing the outdoors, uh, there's actually more and more rangers actually like making sure that nobody stays outside. Um, and with Outward Bound, we actually manage with the, with the, with the officials uh, in the area that Outward Bound operates that we do have like a couple of areas where we as Outward Bound are allowed to camp with a group. So out of curiosity, uh, why is that? Is it, is it public land? Is it privately owned land? Why, why would camping be illegal? Is it just, <laughs> just I'm super, just curious. It seems like such that an is odd. a super good question. No, most of the time it's actually public land. So it's, it's not private. It's not that we'd have to ask like the owner. Um, most of the time it's actually public land and it's, um, it still is forbidden. I do understand that if it comes to like uh, nature reserves and stuff like, like that, or like national parks, I do understand it there. But like in general, it's 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 hard to grasp, especially like if because you have like other countries in in Europe where it's totally fine to to camp. Like for example, pretty much all Scandinavia, you're free to roam. You're pretty much free to pitch your tent wherever you are. Yeah. Unless, unless you disturb yeah. somebody, yeah. So England and Scotland, and I believe Ireland as well. It's like the right of way, right? You're, you're just right away, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just camp anywhere. That's crazy. Yeah, it seems seems so odd to me. Then I guess maybe because I grew up here, it's like the notion that you're not, you know, that, that it seems such an odd, odd notion so, to me that it would be illegal or you wouldn't be allowed to do it. Do they have, you know, you, so wild camping, as you called it, is illegal, yeah. is mostly illegal. But is there like other kinds of camping, you know, that's that is allowed? Yeah, of course, they do have campsites. You, uh, and, but, you know, like the campsites in, in, in Germany, at least, or like most of Europe is, are like a little bit different to the, the campsites that I encountered in the U.S. as well. Like, uh, you know, in the U.S., at least the, the, the ones that I saw, they are pretty big. I mean, the lots like where you camp are pretty big. They're like in the woods. Uh, there's lots of space between the lots and stuff like that. And it gives you... Even though it's a campsite, it gives you like a little bit of like a wilderness feeling, like especially if you're coming from a big city or something like that. That's it, already really close to nature. Uh, in Germany, uh, the tents are really close together. The, the lots are not big at all. And it's just not the same experiences. So but we do have something neat in Germany that just came up like a couple of years ago. Uh, some some um, 
some little towns, they just figured out that people want to camp outside and that they're doing that regardless of whether it's illegal or not. And so they started like building little nature, little campsites close to nature that are actually allowed, that people are allowed to use. But you have to book them in advance. And they were like for, for quite a while, I was giving auto light backpacking courses in, in Germany. And my biggest problem, like when I started those um, courses was, where do I camp? Because it's pretty much illegal. And if, if I'm just doing that with my wife, for example, we just stealth camp, you know, we just take the risk. We, we just pitch our tent or our tarp or we, we put our mattress out there when it's starting to get dark and we do have the feeling, okay, we're close to this hiking trail. The next hut is maybe like two hours away. It's seven at night. So there's probably no hiker coming along any longer. Uh, so we just do that. We, we stay there and we get up really early in the morning stealth camping. Um, if you have like eight paying clients that want to learn about ultralight backpacking, it's probably not such a good idea if you do that. And uh, like a ranger um, or a policeman sometimes are actually standing close to your tent and saying, hey, this is legal. I'm going to charge you like 2,000 euros. And I'm like, oh, jeez, oh, ouch. <laughs> Now, I'm just yeah. making up this number. I think okay. usually like for one person, like the, the fee would be like between 200 and 300. But just given the fact that I'm usually, I was usually like going with like seven to eight like clients on those trips, uh, it would have been expensive. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because I was going to ask you already well, like what the difference between sort of backpacking or hiking in Europe and, and the US was, because, you know, someone that's done both. Well, that was before I realized that it was actually legal to do it in Germany. So now I, I don't know. But I guess I'll ask that question if, if you've done it. You know, is, I don't know if it's, is it legal in Austria or, or Italy or other places. I mean, if you've done it, well, I mean, can you describe the difference? What, what you uh, yeah, that's a, that's a nightmare in Europe because it's, uh, it's different all over the place. Yeah? So like in Germany, it's pretty simple. In Germany, it's just verboten. Yeah? It's just illegal. Yeah. No way around it. Uh, in Austria, it's different uh, because um, there's so many mountains and they have like so many people wanting to go into the mountains. They have a law that allows you to to camp, not camp, but have a bivy like for a night, but not, not in all areas. In some areas, that's forbidden. It's also forbidden. In some areas, it's allowed above like a certain elevation, for example. Um, so it's really difficult. So like whenever you travel, um, you, you really have to look up the, the regulations that are in place. So one of the things that I've always kind of looked at as maybe a potential adventure is doing some hiking on the Via Alpina. Is that now there, I think they kind of described it as you'd like go to hut from hut to hut more often. And that seems to be a popular way of, you know, I don't know what, what you would call it there, but like traveling through the mountains is going hut to hut is that you know what is that a reality i mean is that something that's going to be really hard to do or to book or you know you have to book everything in advance and how does that work so let's say like if without corona i wouldn't book anything to be honest like as a single hiker i i would do such a hut to hut trip just like just go yeah without booking sure. now with corona probably a different story because like they they don't have because they're like hygiene regulations they don't have as many beds as before but in general it's like this that uh, a hut is not allowed to turn you down if you arrive late in, enough in in the day so like if the hut is fully even if the hut is fully booked and you arrive i'd say like at 6 p.m it's getting starting to get dark uh, the warden of the hut is not allowed to send you away yeah if you arrive at like 2, 2 p.m., for example, and you have like plenty of daylight left, you, may, you might say, you know what? Like the next town is like uh, like 3,000 feet in elevation down the hill. You just go because they have hotels there. That's where you can stay the night. But in, in general, they, they have to take you. And if you're just a single hiker, there's only room for one extra. Um, and talking about that, that's actually like quite nice about the, the Alps here in Europe that they have like a hut system in place almost everywhere. And most of the big routes that you can actually hike can uh, actually follow follow huts. And they are not as not that expensive. So like if you're a member of an Alpine club, for example, an overnight stay in a hut in, in Austria or Germany is like usually like 15 euros. Well, I just say like $15, yeah, pretty much the same. And then you can buy meals and beer and everything. So it's, it's quite nice. Yeah, That sounds all right to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jeff, on the list. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it was kind of funny. I, I 
camped this years ago in the late 90s um and uh in the backcountry in yosemite and then there was um a french couple were there with me and i asked them why why would you you know fly, you have the alps you have very pretty mountains where you you know you live why would you come all the way here and they they said it was a different experience because because of the huts and because of the towns. They're like, if you go over a pass, the next valley there's another town. Then you go over the next pass and there's you know another town, and and you, you just didn't get like that sort of vast kind of wilderness thing that you can thankfully still get here in the U.S. Um, I don't. I guess that's less of a question and more of a statement. But can you confirm that? Deny it? Do you have any? Uh... <laughs> no, I, I can con- I can confirm that. Yeah. So like yeah. So there's like two things I, I I would say about that. Like first, yeah, they're absolutely right. There's like towns almost everywhere. You might you might have like stretches where you don't see a town like for one or two days. But it, generally speaking, they're really close. And even if it's, if it's only like a tiny settlement, it's still it's still civilization. It's not like uh, like on the Pacific Crest Trail when you go through the Sierra Nevada, where you have a stretch of 280 miles where the trail doesn't cross a road, for example. Yeah. I mean, on the PCT, you can still get resupplies on in the in the Sierra Nevada if you get get off trail, if you hike hike out a day or something. But it it feels more wild than it does in like uh, the alpine parts of Europe that I had hiked in. I mean, you you can still, but there's still like ni- nice areas, so it's not super crowded all over the place. And uh, if you just take a look on, at the map, like uh, like the Alps, there's like many countries that belong there, and there's like o- also other areas like that are. Have an alpine feel to them uh, for example the pyrenees and in, in spain or in france that are um, kind of remote as well and the pyrenees they don't have a hut system for example i hiked the gr11 like way back when which go- starts at the mediterranean sea and goes all the way to the atlantic um and there's three ra- yeah that's a nice one wow <laughs> and it's not too long that's a good thing as well it's it's only as around like around 500 600 miles so it's something that you can do like with a longer holiday and they have like three routes there they have like the gr11 which is on the spanish side gets the better weather they have the gr10 on the french side um so if you're interested in like cultural change um, dif- differences between spain and france you can experience them there um, and you have the HRP route, the high route of the Pyrenees, which uh, like goes between both of them and goes over many peaks. No, and that was a, that was a really nice trip as well. And it felt a little bit more wild because it didn't have um, it didn't it didn't have all the huts. And now I remember what I wanted to say about the second point in the in the Alpine regions in in Europe. We don't have man eating wildlife. We don't have any ah, bears. Ah. We don't have any cougars. We don't have rattlesnakes and stuff like that. So um, I'd say you're pretty safe if you're hiking in Europe uh, to not get killed by animals. Hmm. You can die other ways. Just yeah, not yeah, by just, animals. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> my my wife was ter- super terrified, like when we hiked on Corsica, which is a French island. Yeah, um, and they have like a like long distance hike there that's like 100 miles or something it's called the gr20 yeah and we did the the northern part of it and they have um i wouldn't say how do i say that so like they have like pigs there so Uh, not boar but like wild pigs feral feral pigs feral pigs thank you yeah that's what they have there and she was terrified that they might actually like get into our tent and start to eat our supplies and stuff um and we actually saw like a feral pig only once. And that was when we spoke to a hut warden what we're going to have for dinner uh, because there, there are like a couple of huts. And he said, oh, we're going to have like fresh feral pig. And then we just walked around the, around the house. And it was just hanging there. Yeah. <laughs> he had just shot it the day, the day before. <laughs> I, I saw some feral pigs uh, when we were in Tuscany. And they yeah. were big i mean that they you know you think oh it's a cute little pig they were not little and they were not cute they were big and if you ran across one that would be kind of scary google hogzilla if you want to see how big those things get they're pretty terrifying hogzilla okay (laughs) kirsten for our listeners who um who don't know what the gr system is can you talk a little bit about what the gr stands for and what gr what the gr roots are Ah, sorry yeah so GR stands for Grand Randonnée, so my French is not really good, which just means long distance hike. So it's like, 
they have like many many of those it's just like uh, um, to to by saying it's a gr20 you just say it's like the long distance trail 20 and there's like other long distance trails like all over europe as well they have like uh, grs in, in spain they have grs in, in france for example and then they have some some other long distance trail systems in europe as well so there's for example the um uh, the the e-trails so e for european and they are really really long so they they span a couple of thousand kilometers but the thing is that some of them are not really in place yet and there's there's not like uh, like one single trail uh, it's just like many trails uh, put together and sometimes there's just like like areas where there, there is no trail yet and you have to figure out how to get from one point to the other a little bit similar to the continental divide trail i would say uh, because uh, that's also not not really finished in, in in every place, but then again, we're talking about like a pretty civilized area in, in Europe. So, um, yeah, you know, it's funny you you talk about like the the pigs or whatever. Like the I mean, I've been in grizzly country, polar bear country, all these scary animals everyone thinks of, and the closest I've ever had to being killed by an animal was a sheep, like with a cliff, and it you know. And it was very angry and really didn't want to be next to me on this cliff. It's like, oh, now I know why they're called rams. <laughs> yeah, but, like like sheep are a nightmare. I was yeah, hiking yeah. in Wales. Yeah. And we just had jumped a fence and wanted to like walk over over a patch of grass. And it, it was not the, the fence in the area was not long and trail actually went there. And so we hopped the fence. We just wanted to go. And then there, there was like a little hill on the right side. And all of a sudden, like four sheep, you know, were like with big horns came up, stood there, and we, we looked at them. And once all of a sudden they started running towards us, and we we're like, oh, my God. <laughs> it was probably like the, the fastest or like the fastest time I ran with a backpack on my back. Yeah. And, you know, I live in Los Angeles, so I don't really have a lot of sheep encounters, you know. <laughs> so at first it's walking up to me. I was like, oh, hello, little sheep, <laughs> you know. And then it's like, oh. And then it got really angry and aggressive. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> bye, sheep. <laughs> Yeah, but when I was hiking with Jeff in Wyoming, I mean, that, that four-day trip was so, so much fun because I consider the both of us kind of experienced when it comes to the outdoors. And that we, we, had, we did so many mistakes on that trip. Um, I, I, can still, I can still remember when we, when we asked the ranger, so, so are the bears any active right now? And he's like, oh, yeah, they're super active. They're just about to go into hibernation, so that's where they right now they get their last calories and they're super active. I hope you've got bear spray. Uh, yes, we do got bear spray. <laughs> and like like forty five <laughs> minutes later on the trail, we actually bumped into our first black bear. Yep, <laughs> that was that was scary though. Like you know, you're you're like expecting you're expecting the worst or fearing the worst, but prepared you know, or you're prepared for the worst, but you're. Um, hoping for the best but then again it's just like the the mind really plays tricks on us you know like because wyoming is black bear and grizzly bear territory that's why you have to carry the bear spray and because you have to carry the bear spray you think grizzly first yeah right so on the yeah. on the pacific crest trail i ran into so many black bears and you know like the first one was really frightening or the second one also but like the third fourth fifth black bear was not frightening any longer because you just see him Oh, he's eating berries in the bushes. No, no reason to shout and make him run away, scare him off. You just keep walking. I mean, keep your eyes on the bear, but just keep walking. And everything's got to be fine. So that's like how black bears worked out for me on the PCT. But all of a sudden, if you think grizzly, you're like, oh my god, am I gonna die? Yeah, and grizzlies are usually the same too, though. I think bears just want to be bears. It's only like desperate situations or they're really hungry or you startle one or it feels threatened by you but most of the they're getting ready yeah or they're getting ready for hibernation yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there was one very horrible attack in montana last week but but yeah, um, yeah. but uh but no but i mean again i've seen them as well and usually it's kind of the same as the black bears they they either ignore you or they run away they're not they're not you know super they're not yeah, so generally speaking i, ne I never encountered one so i can't i can't really tell but yeah yeah Whenever well, people ask me so about black bears, I'm like, yeah, you're going to be fine. And if they tell you, well, what, what, are you going to go to Alaska, Carson, and see the, the grizzlies? I'm like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny too. Like I've, I've had people talk to talk about, you know, Grizzly Man and that he got attacked. I'm like, that guy got attacked after like 20 years of like sitting in wild grizzly bears laps and like petting them and hugging like wild bears. And I mean, yeah, he, he they did get him, but after like 20 years, of, that's how much he had to do to finally, I mean, it's kind of crazy. So, and that, that guy was, know. that guy was strange. Like he was, well, he was mentally <laughs> yes. off. He was, he was definitely yeah. not uh, there. If you saw the movie, I don't know if you guys both saw the movie where, I, he, where he's crying, talking to the Fox. I remember watching yeah. it going, yeah, this guy's maybe definitely not playing with, you yeah. know, with a fold. A very Strange, sad story. Strange was putting it very nicely. Currently. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like, that, that, that what happens, like, if you're, if you're hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, for example, you, you, you hike within, like, um, a group of, I'd say, like, 30 to 40 people on and off. And then you meet each other again, like, at hiker hostels or, like, in the same hotel and stuff. And... Then you start like talking about like certain books that everybody seems to read within the PCT community, and then you start to talk about movies that you have to watch. And yeah, like the Grizzly Man was one of those movies that we watched one night, and yeah, as I said, strange. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure Go Tell It on the Mountain is one of them now as well. So you know. <laughs> yeah, I watch it every once in a while, and yeah. it still uh, fascinates me. Like what what kind of like a health state I was in that I was totally oblivious to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Make those wow. miles right. Just treasury. You get into the yeah. mindset of just moving forward. <laughs> well, what we're talking about here, though, like the experience, having a new experience, you know, backpacking in grizzly country, is not all that different from that. You know, any person doing something for the first time, right? And so, your kids who go through a program at Outward Bound, as an example. If this is their first time, you know, sleeping in the wilderness or under the stars, you know, there's a lot of fear. There's, a, you know, even though there aren't, you know, man-eating animals in in your mountains, um, you know, there's there's other things, and it gets cold, and you don't know what you're doing, and it, you know, you don't want to look like a fool. You want to look like you know what you're doing, and there's uh, there's that sort of fear of what you don't know, and um, that. We, we gain experience over time and we, we become confident. But yeah, sure. if you try something new, that fear can come right back. And um, it's important to remember that because I think a lot of times we diminish some of the fears of somebody who's like just starting out hiking or just starting out backpacking. And we're like, oh, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. And, and we'd forget that those fears are real. And until they have the experience to kind of give them the confidence, you know, that you can't really say, don't be afraid. I, that's, you can say, in my experience, you can share your knowledge and your own, um, uh, what you've been through, and that can help them. But, um, you know, we have to kind of remember that it is kind of scary the first time you do something. And, and that's, that fear probably is a good instinct to kind of protect you and, Make your 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 instincts, uh, your reflexes, and be sharp and be thinking about what's going on, rather than just being sort of nonchalant and going through it and and being underprepared and um, getting yourself into trouble. Yeah, but like we use that like I, we use that fear quite often at Outward Bound, to be honest. Or like let's say like this, when when they don't really know what they're getting themselves into and they're a little bit afraid because. Um, we're talking about comfort zones here, right? So, and when whenever you do something that you're afraid of in the first time, and you you, you succeed, you you stretch your comfort zone, you make it bigger, and that's something that the the young people really grow with, and something that they really, and that's like like the, that's what those magical moments are for the participants as well when they come back and say, oh, I was so afraid, but you know what? It was the coolest night ever because when I woke up. Uh, and I was just sleeping under the stars. I opened my eyes and I could see like all the stars up there. And then I just went back to to sleeping and it was brilliant. Yeah? And you can see them like when they tell you that they didn't have a good night of sleep because they have wrinkles under their eyes. Uh, but you can see, still see their smiles. So that's really important. And talking about fear in the outdoors, uh, I think there's like an American guy who wrote a book or a series about the five elements of an adventure. And like one of the elements of an adventure is uh, that the, the success is not is not definite, so it's it's not clear whether you're going to succeed or not. Yeah. And then, so now I'm 
I think that's quite important as well to, to face situations like that where you don't know what the outcome is going to be like. So if, if you already know what the experience is going to be like 100%, so why, why do you do it? You can just stay at home and uh, think about it instead of doing it. Yeah. Jeff and I just had recently had a failure. So so we, we <laughs> so we know something about that. Uh, failure is a strong word. It was a good time and it was an adventure, but we, we did try to climb Rainier and we didn't make it. You know, We didn't know if we were going to make it. As much as a week ahead, we saw the weather report and thought it looked like a pretty good chance that we weren't going to make it, but we tried anyway, and it was fun, and it was cool and exciting, and yeah. <laughs> we had a we had a successful attempt, but we were unsuccessful at summiting. Yes, yeah, that's a good, that's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> but are you going to try it again then? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Jury's still out on Jury, that one. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think my knees want me to try it again. That's kind of my kind. Of, the way up was actually fine, but the way down, my knees were just locked yeah, up. Yeah, that sucks. And that was really, really not. not I, fun. I actually, you know how my, uh, my ankle was bothering me. Yeah. It is. I, I it's still swollen, and yeah. I still, it still hurts, and it's like that's not going away. It's yeah. been two months, and I got to. Talk to the doc about that. The hard thing, the hard thing I thought, like, especially on the way down is that you're sort of, you're forced to have your feet in these very specific positions with all your weight on them and not move for, it's like stress positions almost. And that was, that was kind of very hard and very painful. Whereas going up, it's kind of fun. You just keep going up, you know, and that, that's, you know, physically like a cardiovascular wise tough, but, but it was a lot less harsh and a lot less painful and torturous than the way down. So I, again, I would, you know, I don't know who knows, maybe in a year or so I'll do it. But I also feel like maybe I should have, if I was going to take up mountaineering, I should have done it, you know, 20 years ago <laughs> or when I was a little bit younger. Maybe now is not the age to, to pick that up. And I'm perfectly happy with the hiking and my other adventures, you know. Yeah, talking about age, right, like we right. were like, we were doing like a gravel bike tour, like uh, on the border to Belgium, like um, last year with a couple of friends. And uh, we were all like in our early 40s or something. And we had one guy with us, like really fit one, who was like 56. And we were always like picking on him, making fun of him because he was the old guy. And then we, like one evening we sat around a campfire and we asked him, Hey, Roman, um, how does it feel like to be like 56? <laughs> and he said, Oh, you know, it just feels like being a young dude like you guys are. The only difference is going to be that everything hurts longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So we have that to look forward to. The sad truth. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The healing, oh, yeah. healing takes longer. <laughs> well, well, Carson, do you have any adventures? Like, what's next on your bucket list? I mean, you've done, obviously, done so much already with the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail and all these GRs. Grand Randonnais, right? Well, what's uh, what's next on your list? Yeah, that's a good a good question. Um, so the thing is, I'm, I'm married. I have two children. Like Svea is nine years old and Jonah is, uh, is eight. So um, I, I don't really feel like leaving my family for too long. So I'm not at the moment, at least I'm not looking at the really long distance trail, long distance trails like like the Continental Divide or something. But as I hiked the AT and the PCT in the past. At one point in the future, I would really love to do the Continental Divide Trail, just not not to become a triple crowner necessarily, but just because it feels kind of natural to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I always enjoyed my time in, in the US and I enjoyed the simplicity that like a long distance uh, trail gives you. Um, but other than that, I like one thing I enjoyed about the long distance hikes as well was like the, the social part, to be honest. Uh, just doing stuff with other people, like-minded people, um, being in the same situation. Because come back to the five elements of an adventure, like great companionship is like a really, really important part as well. Yeah, it can be an adventure if you're all by yourself, but if you can share it with somebody, it's always nicer. It's always better. Um, and so what what I did do a couple of years back was like a really nice hike as well. Um, it was called Coast to Coast Sweden. So it's a hike across Sweden and in southern Sweden. So you start at the, the Baltic and you go over to the to the North Sea. And it's you start at a castle, you finish at a castle. Um, 400 kilometers, like two weeks. Um, and it's it's it was it was invented like by a couple of Swedish guys, and it's it's more of a community hike. They they did that a couple of times already, and 
only like 15 or 20 people actually sign up and do the hike and they have spoken to landowners before um, that they can camp everywhere where they want. I mean, you have a um, right of right away over there as well. So, uh, um, so you can, you're pretty much allowed to camp everywhere, but there's some really nice spots that you would love to camp at that are actually private and they ask the landowners beforehand. And so there's really awesome camping over there. And that's what I did like in 2013 and 14. And I really enjoyed doing that because it had the simplicity of, of long distance hike, but it still had like the social part, uh, logistically, it was not too hard. So I, I can see myself doing that again in the future. And it's only two weeks, as I said, it's not too hard. As a European that's obviously hiked quite a bit in the US, what would you recommend like a, a North American to come and hike in Europe? What do you think would be the best things to do? How should they look at it different? What, what would you, you know, tell us what we should do and how we should do it or what we should be prepared for? Yeah, it really depends on what you, what you are up to. So if you want to have something like a wilderness experience, like in the States, I would definitely like go up to Scandinavia because there's some areas that are really remote um, and that give you like a tundra-like hiking feeling, more, more like hiking in Alaska or something like that. But they still do have a hut system up there. Um, kind of neat, actually. Like sometimes the, the, the huts are staffed, so there's people that are actually helping you. And sometimes you just have to have the key because they're not staffed. And uh, you have to get that key beforehand. And it's, it's quite nice because it's it's all on, on the honor system. So you, you, you write a person that you want to have the key and they give them like a 20 euro deposit. They send you the, the key by mail. And once you use the hut, you, you actually have to, uh, to pay by giving, giving them your credit card details. Um, and it's all on the honor system because there's nobody there. So you open the hut, hut, you go in there, there's a little slip that you fill your credit card information into. Then you then there's a little mailbox, letterbox, that you put the the, um, the slip in. Half a year later, uh, all of a sudden you have uh, a, uh, somebody's taking money out of your account. You're just like, who, who just withdraw like withdrew the, the 20 euros uh, 50 cents who, who was that and you see like ah it's the norwegian guys from that specific hut so if you want to have like uh, something like that that's quite nice in scandinavia but i'd say um uh, jeff was pointing out the, the via alpina i'd say like any longer or shorter long distance hike in the alps that's done hut by hut is, is supposedly like a really ex cool experience for somebody who didn't do that before mm -hmm especially like with the benefit of just like finishing a hard day in a hut with a nice bed, with a beer, with a proper meal and everything, possibility to dry out the, your gear. That, that's really quite nice. And there's something to it as well, because who do you meet on the hut? All the people that hike there like you. So there's always something you can talk about, like, um, and, and it's, it's quite nice. So the social part, I, I really do like up there. That was one of the things when uh, my wife and I hiked the John Muir Trail and we stopped at um, Vermilion Valley Ranch. She was having problems with a with one blister on her one foot that uh, was bothering her. And she's like, oh, I don't know. I think I might bail, you know, and not finish. You know, that was like the last good point to bail out at. And uh, once she got there and everyone started sharing their they're you know showing off their blisters and their calluses and tell, talking about their sore knees and all of their ailments. She's like, oh, this is just what everybody goes through. And, and yeah. she finished the trail as a result. But that community that we had, you know, sharing a meal around a table and, uh, you know, talk, swapping stories was so valuable. It was so good. And like the hey. good thing about the, the, the long trails in the Alps also is you can make them as hard or as easy as you want to. Um, uh, what, what's kind of popular over here in, the, in, in Europe are like so-called Via Ferrata or like in German it's Klettersteig. Um, so it's, it's like climbing routes that they have installed steel cables on. And what you do, like you don't have to be like a super good climber. So what you do like on those uh, via ferrata is you have like a climbing harness and you have like a self belay system on your harness with like two carabiners and you clip yourself into that steel cable all the time. Um, so whenever you are really tired, you just hang in there uh, and you're like pretty much like safe all the time. And that's that's gotten really popular as well. And sometimes along those uh, long distance hikes, um, reroutes, or I'd say like 
yeah, deviations from the proper trail where you just do one of those via ferrada or you just pitch in like a couple of peaks that you want to climb uh, on the on those trips um so it's it's really versatile what you can do there yeah nice yeah. sounds like sounds like fun yeah. sounds like some future adventures <laughs> yeah put on the list <laughs> hey carson thank you so much for being on the podcast this yeah. has been oh, really it was, nice it was a pleasure. I, it's great to reconnect yeah yeah, yeah definitely yeah. And uh, if, if folks want to connect with you, uh, where would they find you online? So I do have like a German website. It's called uh, www.fastpacking.de. And my email address is there. And I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook as well. Same thing with fastpacking.de. And uh, yeah, if they want to connect, please do so. Uh, especially like for like German speaking folks. Um, I, I offer like ultralight backpacking classes. Uh, I can give advice on how to hike long distance trails, but I could also like give advice to like uh, U.S. folks wanting to hike in, in Europe. What might be a good idea to to hike or uh, what what a certain trail is like? I mean, I haven't hiked all the trails, but the good thing is, uh, like once you start long distance hiking, uh, you grow into a community. Even if you stopped long distance hiking a couple of years back, there's still like enough people you're connected to and you just follow them on Instagram or on YouTube or wherever. And um, there's, for example, that's like, um, there's like a German tourist, a woman who hiked like, I think 50,000 kilometers right now. She's a triple crowner from Germany. And uh, that's a person I always talk to if I want to have like new ideas about long distance trails. So I always call her up and say, hey, Christina, I want to go there. Uh, like this specific country, is there like a good trail I can hike? And she always has a good idea. And she always gives uh, honest feedback about gear and everything. And she's destroying a lot of gear uh, because she's using it so so much. So yeah, I'm well connected in the long distance uh, community, I, I would say. So like if people need like a tip or advice on, on how to hike long distance trail in, in Europe, just like, yeah, hit me up. Awesome. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. On Instagram at almostthere underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure Podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women. That's Adventure US Women. Jeff at The SoCal Hiker or me at The Muir Project. Our title track Almost There is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. On the next episode, Scott Turner is back to talk about his new hiking guide to Yosemite. As always, thanks for listening.